Well, good morning, Solano. Thanks for being with us this morning. Been so blessed to be with you on this journey as we've explored racism over these last weeks. I've loved our conversations offline, lots of emails and exchanges, and uh, it's been really fruitful in a number of ways. And so thank you for going on this, I know, sometimes difficult journey with us. Today is the final installment in our four-part series on racism. I'm coming to you from my office, uh, and that's because in a little bit, we're going to turn it over to our faith and race team, and they're going to give some testimony, share some stories about how God is working in them and through them and others that they brought in to have a conversation about what does action look like. Now, if, you, if you've been listening, what, we, what we've been trying to do is take us through a process of awareness of racism, acknowledgement of racism, and that oftentimes connects to lament and repentance, and then action. And we have to be careful not to get to the action before we've done the first two. So the first two weeks really were about awareness, and then last week was more in the area of acknowledgement. And this week we're going to move to action, and I'm going to get some help to do that. So looking forward to that. Let me just read our text and uh, say a few words about that to get us started, and then I'm going to turn it over to the faith and race team. As you know, we've been going through the parable of the Good Samaritan, and so we're going to look at it one more time. You're going to have this memorized. Uh, This is in Luke 10, verse 25, and I'm going to highlight the particular portion that helps us to think about action. All right. Verse 25, Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. I I can't hear that enough times. Uh, And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, he's going to give this parable, this famous parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went, so now we're beginning the action part. He, he crossed over the other side of the road. He went to him and bound up his wounds. Probably had to take some of his own clothing and destroy it in the process. Um, pouring on oil and wine. Oil and wine would have been used as refreshment for the traveler. Uh, very arduous journey traveling in that area. And, and, and so the oil and wine, though, was sacrificed to help this man who was beaten on the side of the road. Then he set him, that the Samaritan set him on his own animal, which meant he probably had to walk next ne- alongside, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, uh, innkeepers were notoriously uncaring during this time, and, and so um, it seems that the Samaritan spent the night to help take care of this man who had been beaten. And the next day, he took out two denarii, that's about two days' wages, so not an insignificant sum of money, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. 
and whatever more you spend, I, and, and in the original language, there's an emphasis, I will repay you when I come back. Takes it upon himself. Now, verse 36, which of these three, Jesus asks, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And this morning, as we explore what does it mean to act against the sin of racism in our context, whatever that is, it's really zeroing in on that phrase, you go and do Likewise, What does it look like? You know, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, there's tremendous detail around how the Good Samaritan helps the man who's beaten, been beaten on the side of the road. Um, he, he, he actively engages. He uses his resources. Uh, he comes alongside. He reacts to the circumstances. And that's what we all have to do when we're in the process of doing likewise, of loving, loving our neighbor. And, and, and that's not a simple question to consider. And so let me just give you a few handles, a few thoughts about how to go about doing that. What does it look like to do likewise? What shape does it take in our own lives? And, and what I want to propose to you is that there's a process for us all to go through to understand and to discern what the shape of our particular action will be. And it has to start with prayer, right? Everything starts with prayer in the Christian life. And so we start by going deep deep into the prayer closet and asking God to show us, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? Where have you placed me? We've got to start with prayer. And that also can only come after we've done those first two steps, the awareness part. So learning about racism in our context and the acknowledgement part, lamenting it and repenting of our participation in it. Uh, the deeper we go into the awareness and the acknowledgement, the more informed and helpful will be our action coming out of that. So I want to encourage us. We, we've been on the process of awareness and acknowledgement over these last weeks, but we certainly haven't completed it. And each of us has responsibility to take on that journey of awareness and acknowledgement in our own lives and to dig deeper, to continue to learn and grow. And it's out of the, the wealth and the richness of that journey that the action will come. And it'll be informed action, and it'll be God-driven action, and it'll be helpful action. So then after you've gone through the process of awareness and acknowledgement, and of course you're always going to be learning more and growing in that, you begin to then ask the question, you know, what do I have? That's what the Good Samaritan asked. What do I have? He's, he's got clothing he can use to bind up the wounds. He's got oil and wine to give refreshment. He's got a beast. He can put the man on the beast, and he has money, and so he takes him to the inn and he pays for his care in the inn. Well, what do you have? What do I have? That's the question that we want to ask as we consider how we act against racism. What is it that God has given to us that we could use? And of course, this is where we get into the area of sacrifice, right? Um, what do we have that we could use to help fight against racism? Um, I, I, I can't help but think about Jesus. And Jesus had everything and he gave it all up to come and go to the cross to offer to, to allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed he gave he just gave absolutely everything he had for us 
And part of the journey of faith is growing in our ability to sacrifice and to give for love of neighbor. And it's it's true in all areas of life, and it's true in this area as well. So what do you have? What can you give? What have you done? In other words, how has God used you in the past in other people's lives? I think if we each ask that question and we think back, we'll realize that that we've been gifted in certain ways by the Holy Spirit to be able to help people in ways that are unique to our personality. And again, the gifting that God has given us. How can we take those gifts and bring them to the question of fighting against racism? That's an important question. What have you done? How has God used you in the past? Of course, this is true for all areas of our life, but nonetheless, here as we think about fighting against racism, what are your circumstances? Uh, where are you? What are your relationships? What what has God given you by way of relationships that you could then reflect on and think about how could I fight against racism in this particular area? Uh, what's the geography of life, your life? Uh, where do you encounter a diverse group of people? And if you don't, what could you do to change the geography in your life so that you can be in greater contact with a, a diversity of people so that God can use you to be an agent of change in the midst of that. Uh, what kind of influence do you have? Um, are you a leader of some kind um, in your workplace or maybe in a hobby or with sports or whatever it is that you do in your family? How can you use your influence? How can you take advantage of this gift you've been given to begin to help or to work against racism in your surrounding context? Now, a lot of these opportunities are going to take place in, in different kind of realm. So I like to think about, you know, what am I doing as an individual? Uh, what has God given me? But then how can I link arms perhaps with a smaller group of people uh, to do something in particular? And I, I, my mind goes here to our home groups. What a great way for us to think about action within the context of our home group. And then corporately as a church, what can we do to fight against racism? Um, what we are seeing God doing in this church is moving us closer into the realm of being an anti-racist church, which is really a reflection of our God. Our God is an anti-racist God. He made all people in his image. He died for all people, and he expects that all people will be in the heavenly throne room worshiping him together. So our church ought to reflect the heart of God. And so corporately, our leadership's going to be thinking about what are the next steps for us to be able to move deeper into our calling as an anti-racist church. Now, doing this is going to, th this process is going to generate, I think, all kinds of variety and creativity. And I love that. We're not all going to be doing the same things. And that's okay. God's going to call us to respond in different ways. And so we really have to be careful as a community um, to give each other space, to allow for variety, to avoid making assumptions about one another. And even there's going to be a different level of heat around this topic, uh, just as there is with all topics. Some of us are going to be called to give more, and you're going to see that in the interviews that follow. And, and some of us are going to be giving in, at this other level. I think we all have to be engaged in some way, but it's not always going to look the same. And to me, that's not a threat. That's exciting because, again, Part of the way we understand the majesty and the wonder of God is in the diversity of his creation. And so having different kinds of people reacting, acting in different kinds.
kinds of ways is a beautiful thing. It helps us to understand God's beautiful diversity in greater ways. So let me just finish before I turn it over to the team. Uh, again, going back to these words at the very end of the passage, you go and do likewise. And it reminds me of Micah 6.8, this famous verse, right, that we often quote in this context. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, right? James says uh, faith without works is dead. See, the Christian faith is just not, it's not just a nice set of ideas. These beautiful teachings give birth to powerful action. I go back to the cross. It's remarkable to me that, that God didn't just proclaim from heaven, but he took on flesh, stepped into the world in the incarnation. That was action, right? And then Jesus, he didn't just teach wonderful things, although he did. He also backed it up with action. He went to the cross, allowed his very body to be broken and his very blood to be shed so that our sins could be atoned for, including the sin of racism. And then finally, Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. It, it wasn't it wasn't just a nice idea. Um, in fact, Paul said, that if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. See, the Christian faith gives birth to action. And I'm so, so excited for us to be on this journey together to figure out what is our action as we think about our context and the racism that continues to pervade it. And I hope that you're going to be inspired by the stories that are you're going to hear in the next few moments. Think about them with an eye to your own life. And, and what creative work is God doing in your life to call you forward into action? I'm excited to hear and to see what God is going to continue to do. Amen. Well, Pastor Andrew, thank you uh, for that introduction. And thank you, brother, for the way you've led us so well over these past four weeks in our sermon series. Um, this has been an amazing step for our church. Um, I'm also grateful for our Faith and Race team. Um, you guys have done uh, an amazing job uh, demonstrating to us what it looks like to love, love our neighbors. Um, and this morning is special because we'll get to hear from each of you, these, the, the many voices uh, that are also a part of this amazing work and what it looks like to answer the call to action. So I want to begin uh, our time this morning with my dear sister, Tracy Brown. Uh, Tracy is a part of the team and has, over this past year, almost two years now, been fully engaged. So Tracy, won't you begin by uh, just telling us where did this um, this calling and the passion that you have where did it where did it begin? I grew up primarily in Arizona, a little bit in Louisiana. Most people that would meet me would just say I'm kind of your typical white woman, but I actually grew up in a mixed race family. 
My mom is Lebanese, and I knew the difference from a really early age of my dad's Euro background and my mom's Middle Eastern background and how that plays out in society. So I was sensitive as a kid to how my family was perceived, but also um, even even personally, I mean, it sounds really strange because I'm very white right now, but growing up in Arizona, I had dark skin, you know, living in the pool basically every summer. And so I was often perceived as Hispanic and I knew that there was less privilege with that too. So I was very aware of racial and social status in society. And as I got older, I tried to push myself away from my background. And I didn't realize it until graduate school that 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 was internalized oppression. So we didn't talk about race in my family. I just felt it. I just could tell. I had enough privilege as I got older that I didn't have to face it. Um, You mentioned about grad school being a, a turning point for you. But for you as a follower of Jesus, when did you make the connection about this with your faith? Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so graduate school introduced me and we had required courses for, I was in psychology. And so we had a couple of books, like one was on microaggressions. It's like how people ask questions or make statements that are actually racist and they don't, you know, they might not realize it. So I had more awareness at that point. That's where I learned about internalized oppression that I was doing to myself and hiding my, my nationality, my background. I kind of, had more awareness at that point. But then when I was at Solano and we had the faith and race group, I didn't participate right away. I was just happy that it was part of our church. And then about a year and a half ago, I became involved because of the Be the Bridge program. And I didn't know much about it, but I knew that it would take me to another level of personal work and inner work and awareness. It was great. I mean, I learned so much more about, um, I didn't know about redlining. You know, I used to think that if you had a good education, you know, there's public education everywhere and and applied yourself that that would be the great equalizer. And I learned so much about that's not true. And it saddens me a lot because that's where it starts from little children um, not having the same advantages as people in white communities. The whole school to prison pipeline I learned about. And yeah, there's just so much that I didn't know. And this gave me this opportunity to not only have more knowledge, but to lament to look at what does it mean to reconcile, learn more about reparations and, and how really there's been no no apology for what even Christians have done. I mean, anytime somebody is oppressed, this is like what Jesus would call me to do. And leaning into the issues of all image bearers and reconciling and redeeming them to God's vision and So to me, this is a lifelong calling now after joining the Faith and Race group. But I did get, I want to admit that I did get complicit afterward. I I did want more for Solano Church. I did want more for, you know, all people of faith in this capacity of racial justice. And I was impassioned and I slipped into complacency with focusing on my own life. So I know it's a real thing. And that's also a stronghold too, of, you know, not wanting to put in the effort and and you really have to be proactive when we live in a very white society. We have um, a lot of, you know, systemic um, 
we, we don't like when you have privilege, you don't have to take this on as a calling. It's a, it's a choice. It shouldn't be as a person of faith, but, um, it's very easy to slip into that. And so, um, I, you know, this past month is really what changed that for me. So Jason, it's really been good, you know, over the past month, checking in with, checking in with you and, and, uh, stuff. So I'm, I'm wondering, I would love to hear, I want to just to hear you, how you've been processing things that have been happening the past month in our nation, um, just in our church, even how it's affected you and your family in light of all of the racial reckoning and unrest that's been happening. Yeah, I think for me, it, um, really began several weeks ago when um, it was shortly after um, George Floyd's murder and the protests that it ignited. I remember one night I was talking with Cindy and um, she was saying how it just felt like like something's different, like um, these protests seem more intense. And I remember in that discussion, I was saying like it, it wasn't like this is like another just another time and um and i remember in that conversation just being called out um by cindy for my apathy and um i think the holy spirit really used cindy um to like convict my heart and the words that she had to say and i i um yeah i just had to face that fact that um it's not something that I ever had to 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 deal with directly, and um, yeah, that, that that apathy really, I think God really convicted my heart. So um, God used that conversation and really challenged me to engage. Um, like later on in life, and in college, I had um, a African American friend whom I thought I was pretty close to, and um, we've kept in touch like on and off through the years since. But I think as I reflect on just just reflecting like how how much of a friend I could be to him or uh, how much of a friend I really am to him if I never really understood um, what it means to um, be a black man in America or really um, understand a part of him and, and and I think I think that's something I've been convicted about in terms of yeah just. How much of a friend could I have been to him if if this is not something that I ever was aware of or engaged with? Um, I think just reflecting all that, um, yeah, just needing to repent of my my own apathy and unloving heart, and um, mm. my home group also just engaging in conversation with people in my home group and mm. uh, watching uh, with them um, this evening. At, uh, with Redeemer, Brian Stevenson and Tim Keller talk about um, mercy and issues of justice. Um, so we, mm -hmm. we watched both the talks and the Q&A sessions. Um, I recently watched 13th um, and so much to process um, in, in that sure, documentary. Yeah. Um, so those are the ways that I've begun engaging and being challenged. Um, one thing that I've I've been wrestling with is is how can we proclaim um, a gospel of peace 
um, when in our country there exists um, systemic racism against um, black sisters and brothers? And um, how can we um, stand by and say that it doesn't affect us? Um, at least for me, it, I, I wasn't saying that verbally, but that's how I was living um, sure. and apathetically. And um, I think right now, like, that's that's where I'm at. That's where I'm processing. Um, I'm still learning. Um, and I don't know, like, what the next steps are. Right now, I'm, I'm very much in the, in the learning and processing stage. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm being evicted of is that um, we do need to and I need to stand in solidarity with black sisters and brothers in what are ways um, I know how uh, within my relationships with, with people and and Solano Church and, and beyond whatever that means. Um, now, I got a question for you. It may seem a little um, off the cuff, but I'm curious to hear from you as an Asian American man, um, what would you say to your Asian American sisters and brothers about engaging in this work, engaging in the conversation? What would you say? Wow, I think for me, I, I don't know if I feel like I have a word to say since I am I am mm -hmm. very much on on the journey. Um, I think I would yeah. say to myself to to be engaged and and uh, don't let the stereotypes that at least for me as a second generation Asian American, my parents being um, from Asia, very much uh, a, a stigma against black and brown people um, in, in, in direct words on also actions. And um, that's passed on to me and I need to work hard to push against it, um, to be engaged and to not believe believe in in the in the myths that are there and understand that um, that there is a systemic racism that exists um, against mm -hmm. black and brown people and as Asian Americans at least for me I feel like the proximity that I have to whiteness um, is something that I've benefited from and so to even recognize that um, what am I going to do with the privilege um, to kind of peel back that layer and engage um, and help that inform, like, let God take those truths that I, I, I unpack and see what he has to, um, for me as I understand that reality better. Um, wow. So. That's good. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I mean it. I mean it from my heart. Well, I really appreciate the chance to sit and dialogue with each of you uh, as members of our faith and race team and ministry, um, God is using you all in significant ways in this season to lead our church. And so I, I think it's, it'd be really good to hear your hearts. And I want to start with like origin stories. Okay. So what by God's grace compelled you to commit, to get on the road in this work of racial reconciliation? Erica, why don't you start with the, uh, sharing with your story. Hi, everybody. I'm Erica. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles in a Chinese-American church. And while I really enjoyed being amongst a lot of Chinese people of my own ethnic origin, um, a lot of the emphasis of the church was on 
um, uh, spreading the gospel through evangelism and also doing overseas missions. And I thought, what about, you know, our own Chinese American communities as well as the communities in Los Angeles? And in high school, I had never heard about um, the Chinese Exclusion Act before, um, but I could do a research project on anything in U.S. history. And I discovered that there is these exclusionary laws and it separated Chinese folks from their families in China and it made them second-class citizens. So my family members um, experienced some of this racism. Um, they couldn't get jobs in other fields. Um, they pretty much stuck to Chinatown. And I thought, you know, if this is happening to Chinese folks, what else is happening in the United States, you know, amongst our indigenous folks, African-Americans, Latinx folks, and I learned all of this um, inequities and I, you know, wanted to um, study that and have some kind of service component in, in my profession. And so I've been in arts and culture, but I've also worked in communities. Um, but sometimes in the church, um, you know, the, the church hasn't been as involved. And so some of this work in communities, you know, has been lonely because I don't have my brothers and sisters from my church also um, doing this work as well. And so when the Faith and Race team um, first um, had their first event, I was like, what? Solano is actually doing this work and in embracing this opportunity to talk about things. I would love to be a part of that. And it's been a really welcome opportunity to just be with others and to see the church um, take stock of what's happening in our communities and our nation and do things. Hi, um, I'm Spike. Um, after years of doing racial equity work in the Bay, um, I grew up in a remote community in Australia. Um, we're surrounded by Aboriginal communities. and there was definitely this shadow of colonialism there that I witnessed. And as a, a Californian now, I felt this call to combine the passion that I had for social justice um, with my love of our church here at Solano. Um, and as I grew, I read and learned from Cornel West and Tim Wise and Tony Morrison. I, I was frustrated that the church has this strong, clear calling to lead our country towards racial conciliation and justice, but we haven't really taken up that challenge as a country. And as a church, and so I was really blessed when Stephanie and Miguel also felt the same passion. And so Faith and Race was was born at Solano out of that frustration, that desire to see see change. My name is Violet, and um, I started doing this work because, well, the work of anti-racism, because God calls us to do justice. My lack of awareness for most of my life, um, lack of awareness and acknowledgement of the pervasive sin of racism was keeping me from doing justice. And um, I particularly wanted to get involved with the faith and race ministry because I wanted to help encourage other followers of Christ to become more aware and um, to, to be a part of, of the work of anti-racism. And um, I, I didn't think racism was still an issue in our country until 
three or four years ago, and I was never taught in school or in church that we still um, had issues with racism, that people were still suffering from um, oppression based on race and ethnicity in the United States. And God really nudged me to start listening and to put myself in spaces where I could hear other people's stories. And he nudged me to start, you know, learning more about our racial history and our country and in the church and in more recent um, issues. And um, yeah, I'm not an expert. Um, I'm far from it. Uh, the work is slow and sometimes inconsistent in my life, but I'm really thankful to be a part of it and, and hope to encourage other people to engage in it as well, especially in the church. Yeah, my name is Alex. I grew up, um, yeah, just really believing that the best way to um, think about racism was really just kind of have a colorblind approach. You know, we're all the same. We used to have a racist history, but that's all behind us now. Um, yeah, but I couldn't uh, reconcile some of the um, ways that that wasn't playing out in my life, you know, and just growing up in a church that was predominantly white. And why is it that um, Latino communities are meeting together over here and African-American communities are meeting over here? Um and I think, you know, getting involved in justice work kind of started for me in college, and uh, that opened up my eyes to a lot of things, including privilege and, um, yeah, kind of even just this intersectionality of, of racism and how power structures can work to keep people down. And, um, yeah, it was really great engaging in that work, but, um, yeah, it's really difficult to engage in justice work um, from a worldly perspective because, um, yeah, we know that... Um, there is an enemy and that the way we combat and overcome evil is, is with Christ. And, um, yeah. And so it's been a joy to get to be a part of the Solano race and faith ministry and, um, yeah, to combat evil in this way. Um, and yeah, I just will say that, um, yeah, this is an area that I'm hoping that there can be real change in the church because, um, you know, we see all the time that, that Jesus preached the gospel, and I think we have that down in, in our churches in America, but he was also healing people and he was providing for physical needs. And I think this is an area for, for too long um, we have, as a church, uh, not paired that preaching the gospel word with that um, physical manifestation. And um, yeah, my prayer is that that will change, and that's really what drives me to continue to do this work. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to hear those origin stories from each of you. Um, but I wonder, because you had to factor this in, there's a cost toward um, that's on us as we follow Christ. And there's a cost to living an anti-racist Christian life. And I wonder for each of you, as you reflect on your experiences, what does that cost look like for you? Yeah, I think... Um, you know, that cost is, is different for everyone. Um, you know, I'll just say as a white male, there's a certain amount of privilege and um, just a reality that it, the cost for me looks different than for people of color and those who are living under these systems of oppression. And, um, but really what, you know, for me, that has just looked like kind of dying to myself, you know, and um entering spaces that, you know, because of my privilege, I may not have to, and to listen to voices 
of um, people who are experiencing oppression and to seek those out and to humbly um, remove, you know, maybe my experiences or the ways that, you know, narratives that I grew up with that, um, you know, maybe are, are not true for everyone. And um, yeah, just to walk into this work with humility, it also takes a lot of time and um, yeah, it's an emotional drain. You know, you can choose to walk away from this, but when you engage in it, it is, it is hard. And there's a reality that um, you can burn out in this work if you're not, um, yeah, getting the right support and taking it to God. And um, yeah. And, and so really to um, decenter yourself is kind of the big thing, I think for uh, me as a white male to um, elevate voices of those who aren't being heard. And what Alex says uh, makes me realize an, an aspect of, of the cost that I hadn't really considered is that this is new for most of us. And we're not going into this as experts. There's a ton to learn. And chances are in, in growing here is that we'll say the wrong thing, we'll use the wrong words, we'll embarrass ourselves, we may hurt people, um, and we'll feel foolish. And and that doesn't feel great, right? But in the end, you know, it'll challenge us to be more humble. Uh, and that's a growth that's important. But it's also important that this work, you know, even though we may make mistakes, um, the church is an amazing place of grace to learn how to do this work and, and step out, step up. Um, if we can't be gracious with each other, then who can? But yeah, as I like said, like as a white guy in America, the cost is it's pretty modest um, for me. Um, I've definitely you know come to recognize more what the privilege that I have is, and that's not because of I I worked hard. It's I just have that in as a white male in America. But I think that comes with a huge sense of responsibility to act. And you know, Micah six eight is do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Um, but the cost primarily for me in the Bay is time. I've got three girls, and it will cost you a lot of time to learn and grow. Um, but I've also grown in empathy uh, towards the lived experience of black and brown folks in America. And as you do that, you start to understand and feel some of the pain or heartache of what it means to live under systems of oppression, um, white supremacy, and racism in America. And that, that heartache grows as you understand what this looks like for people. Um, and the root of it is sin, and we're meant to root, you know, root that out and eliminate that. Um, but this is this is heavy work, and it can really become a huge burden emotionally. Um, some days you just want to roll up in the corner and cry because it's too much, and there's too much pain and brokenness. Um, but we're given light and hope. Um, well, it's that hope spike that uh, I know we have to keep in front of us when the days are long. And as some of you have said, where it's slow. It's a slow work of God. Um, but I wonder, you know, when this sermon series is over, when, you know, the news feeds uh, have, a, have a different headline, you know, uh, for many of us, it will, this is our life. This is our calling. But what do you hope for? What do you dream for, for our church when this is all over? In a nutshell, my hope for Solano is that we would be following Jesus more fully, um, that we would be pursuing um, what he cares about. You know, Jesus um, identified with the poor and the marginalized. And we see constantly through scripture that God called his people to turn away from oppression and to repent of it and to um, to seek to do justice. Um, 
And it's my prayer that we would do that, you know, individually and collectively um, as a church, that as we um, seek to have the Holy Spirit reveal our own sin and the sin in the world around us, that um, we would be spurred to action by the gospel, by the grace of God, that we've been reconciled to him and we are to help to not only reconcile others to him, but also to be reconciled to one another. So it's just my prayer that we would be spurred to action to not only speak the gospel in our own spheres of influence, of which we have many in our church, um, but to also do the gospel in those places, um, in our relationships, in our work, um, in our community, to use our resources and our voice and our prayer. My hope is that we don't go back to being complacent with the issue of racism in our own hearts, in our church, in our society. And we have 400 years of brokenness. Um, so we have years of work to do to work through this. Um, but I do see the roots at Solano um, of us becoming a church that talks honestly about our past and present as a country. And as a church, we haven't stood up in the past, but we will now, won't we? And I, I see us becoming a place where God's people work through the really hard work of confession and repentance and restoration and conciliation. Um, and that ultimately we'll be witnesses uh, to God's endless love for all people in this country, in this world. That's a beautiful dream. Erica, what about you, sister? Um, I hope that we can be... Um, just followers of Christ, that people can see that we love God and we love our neighbors and that we can be a blessing for um, those around us and to work for a just and inclusive society. And I'm reminded of a um, passage in Jeremiah 29. Um, the Israelites are in exile and they are, you know, longing for home, and God reminds them that their home is where they are at now. So we should seek the prosperity of our um, our communities, and we will find our welfare as well. Well, thank you, each of you, uh, for sharing your stories, your dreams, you know, and also the burden. Uh, we do this together, and I'm so grateful for each one of you and the ministry of Faith and Race. Let me pray for us and for our church, and especially for each of you. So, almighty and gracious God, we are um, so grateful for the call. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for being the model of what it means to lay down um, privilege and power and at the same time. Uh, being willing to count the costs and carry a cross on our behalf. And it's because of all that and because of your resurrection, God, we have hope and this ministry of reconciliation. And so for my sisters, for my brothers, God, we, we are grateful for the call. And we're thankful that you've already paid the price ultimately for us. So give us by your spirit the renewed strength to trust you and to lock arms together. Thank you so much for the ministry of faith and race within our local church, God. I pray that um, through this testimony, through this discussion, through the sermon series, um, many more will lock arms and do the deep work, allow you to have that 
that space to do that deep work in us so that we might love well, so that we might love our neighbor. Not seeking to justify ourselves, but just seeking to honor you. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name and in the power of the Spirit with great expectation. Amen. So, Stephanie, um, being that there are very few African-Americans in our church, um, many would wonder, how are we experiencing this whole uh, racial reckoning that's happening in our in our country and in the church and with our sermon series? I'm curious to hear, and I'm sure others might be curious to hear, why do you engage in this type of work, you know? What does that calling look like in your life? I engage in it primarily because it's it feels like for me, engage in it or perish. My role as a teacher was to provide a safe space for my students and in particular um, black and brown students. It's it's a call in my whole life. It's not it's not a it's not a fad. It's not a trend. It's my, like when I die, it'll be my life's work. Yeah. So the fact that it's a calling, it's not a hobby, but with the calling, there's a cost. So I'm, I'm curious for you to share how has this calling to the, the work of engaging the sin of racism as a sister in the Lord, in the body of Christ, how has the racism affected you? It has not been fun. Um, I feel like you just asking that. I feel like there's a, there's going to be a whole group of people who are like, what? It's a, what? There's been racism in the church? In our, in, in our church. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, I got into Stanford. And it was a great day. It was awesome. I found out when I was at church, um, uh, and it was super exciting, and everybody rejoiced with me, and then a brother at church came up to me and said that the reason I got in was because I was black, and, and this is like our faith community. This is where I should feel safe, ideally. Ideally, I should feel, I should let my guard down at church. I should able to be at church and not be worried about being injured or insulted or hurt. And in that moment of just an offhanded comment, you know, he wouldn't say that to a white person. Mm -hmm. It was completely rooted in racism and it, and it took some of the joy away. So that stunk and it just reinforced the idea that that the way we have church right now is not a place where I can let my guard down. Sitting in church, worshiping Jesus, is not a place where I can fully let my guard down. Yeah. Yeah. Well... I feel with you, not just as 
your pastor, but as your brother who who carries the exact same um, burden. You know, there's a call, there's a cost, there's a burden that we carry. So I'm, I, I would love for you to share, you know, how do you keep going? You know, what does God do? How has God sustained you um, to have hope in all of this? I think it's it's been harder lately. I know that God is sovereign. So, like, he sees it all. He's the God who sees. Um, it, it, it helps me to remember that, that God is a just God and he's a merciful God. And he, what breaks my heart regarding this and your heart and many people's heart is also breaking his heart. And that when he sees a 12 year old boy playing with a gun in a park, a toy gun, and being shot, like he's, he's, he is broken by that as well regardless of whether it's ever mentioned from a pulpit, in a sermon, in prayer, or inside conversations. Like so, but when it is mentioned, when I hear Andrew talk these past few weeks, it has been um, refreshing, fortifying. Like I need, I need to hear the white Christian church say that these things are wrong, that they're not in keeping with Jesus's teaching, because in not doing that, what I hear is an acceptance of it. Mm. And when I hear that, that turns, that takes God from being the sovereign, omnipotent, mm. overall creation God, and makes him the God of the United States of America. Um, and a white God and a kind of a white supremacist God who is not bothered by these things. Um, and when I think about God in that context, I have no desire to have anything to do with Christianity. And so I'm thankful that that isn't our God. Amen. 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 